Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few weeks. I've been. Uh, it was mostly my fault. I um, I've been uh, away uh, in different parts of the country overseas as well, which has been been delightful. Um, but uh, more than happy to come back to a Tuesday evening to chat football with you. Well, you know, there's nothing more glamorous than coming back after a few weeks off to talk about um, the fan-led governance um, review. Yeah, absolutely. Football governance. Uh, I tell you what, though, I tell you what, football governance, uh, I think if you could somehow get metrics on clicks around football governance and you went back 10 years and you plotted it to today, I think you'd get a lot more clicks. I think it is the, uh, one of the sexiest topics in town now. Well, you don't need to convince me. Uh, I basically have grown up um, as a regulations lawyer. So regulations and football altogether is literally as a, as a sweet spot as I could um, as I could possibly do. And so when I was reading through all of um, this over the weekend and then in prep for here, it just um, the truth is this is exactly the stuff that, you know, when we're getting down to it is the detail about the football industry. Now we're, we're talking about money, finance where money goes, um, how stuff is going to be regulated. And it's, you know, the politics, the economics and the, the, the diplomacy of it all, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it filters all the way down to the pitch. I think that's like the, the fundamental thing is that whatever, you know, we can discuss today about the family review, all of it ultimately impacts the product that we see on the pitch. So it is super important, um, even if it seems like it's, you know, happening kind of behind kind of wood panel rooms or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought a good place to start would be, you know, the overarching thing is the concept of an independent regulator for English football. Uh, and the, before the show, like, we agreed it's, it's IREF, isn't it? It's uh, it's the kind of standard way to go. I- IFAB, IREF, iPod, iPad, whatever it is, iPlayer. Um, so IREF, what, what is the kind of, I, I guess, the, the overall structure of what, what's been proposed in the review? But you, there's lots, um, and I think we're only going to touch on a, a few in truth. Uh, and like, but I guess in the weeks that follow, we'll be talking about various elements. But you know, at its heart, um, and again, I'm not sure if IREF is the right phrase, but we're just, uh, we're just going to go with it, see if it sticks. Um, you know, the, the idea for the review led by Tracy Crouch now is that there is going to be, or at least it looks like now, there is going to be an independent regulator for football, and. What I think is important necessarily not to say is, well, why do you need an independent regulator for football? Um, it's almost a question of what is the independent regulator for football if there is going to be one going to actually have um, uh, powers and remit over? Um, and I think in that respect, th- there is some decent arguments based on my reading of the report, um, but also to understand what they will actually be, will, will have oversight on really. And, you know, in terms of finance related matters, it's um, the equivalent of, cost controls if it's the equivalent of ffp the profits and sustain profitability and sustainability regulations it's uh in relation to takeovers to the owners and directors test um and uh and, and that takes lots of different forms it's to do with you know the distributions of that money because you know the way i way i see it as well is you know omar I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this is you know the argument i think that the premier league have said for some time, or at least I feel that whenever I'm trying to explain why independent regulation is needed to a degree, is, you know, it's very difficult to shepherd lots of different interests, vested interests, that, never mind the Premier League, but also, you know, the number of clubs in the EFL. And I think for a long time, Premier League has said, well, it feels like the Premier League said, this isn't what they haven't necessarily said, but in my mind, it's almost like, well, we want to, we've been told to distribute more money to you. 
in order to prop you up, in order to prop these clubs up that are in financial difficulty. And granted, COVID has, has wreaked havoc on lower clubs' finances and, high, and, and top clubs' finances. But to a degree, and, and the report actually deals with it very early on, which is, well, why should we give you more money if you can't have keep your house in order? And pre COVID, I can still completely see that. You know, the number of clubs, especially in the championship, that were spending more than 100% of their revenues on wages, never mind some that I believe were over 200%, you know, shows the, the, the problem that I think, I think, was the basis for, you know, in a way, I think the regulatory issues that have definitely impacted on the championship level. Now, I think there's an argument to say that actually the profitability and sustainability regulations in the Premier League have actually done pretty well pre-COVID. A lot of the clubs were breaking even or getting quite close to breaking even after taking away some of the, the um, exemptions as to infrastructure spending and other types of um, um, long-term spending. So I think sometimes the issue is is we have this event, which is the Super League breakaway, and that leads to lots of underlying governance and financial and distribution um, issues which then leads to this review taking shape so the question now is is that does an independent regulator come in to fix all of football's ills or do we focus on particular ones and that's the reason why i think we have the situation where we have from this report which is at least my view for the main financial elements the main financial elements which is cost control um, district linked to distributions which is if the premier league are going to change the way that they're distribution model works i think they need to have enough comfort or need to be able to have the voice which says well you know the rest of the country the rest of the country's clubs need to demonstrate which is part of this whole review based on capital and liquidity requirements they need to be able to demonstrate that they're going concerns and sustainable yeah i think that that was certainly the heart of the review wasn't it it was around sustainability of these clubs um and their i suppose their places in the community um and there's kind of three ways that um, club sustainability can be addressed. So one is through uh, costs and looking at how costs are controlled um, uh, and how they're monitored. And, and we can get into into what the proposal is for that, because obviously there is FFP and, and profit sustainability rules that exist at the moment. But as we've seen in the EFL, don't appear to be if, have been fit for purpose. So you've got costs and then you've got revenue. And there's two ways of, of looking at revenue. Um, there's distributing revenue from elsewhere in, in the um, pyramid, i.e. the Premier League. So that's parachute payments, but also kind of broader distributions. There's um, also revenue from the transfer levy that, that's been discussed. And I think um, dig into that. And then um, finally, there's there's actually kind of growing revenue through, um, through media rights values, which wasn't addressed in the report. It's probably not the place of the report to do that. But I think it's, um, you know, an area that, that needs to be discussed in the round as to whether actually clubs can be, you know, growing greater revenues in, in the EFL at the moment that, you know, the rights values are so much lower than the Premier League and, and whether that's, you know, a function of the market, or whether that's something that's been done inefficiently. So those are the, the kind of areas I think they, they mostly, t- the report mostly touched on in terms of sustainability. Um, into the kind of cost controls piece, it was quite interesting reading what the independent regulator would be permitted to look at and do um, in terms of almost taking quite a subjective view of uh, of a club's finances and 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 like being the IRF essentially being the expert on a club finances based on the proposals that they put forward. But what was your view on it, Dan? Well, you know, I think it's it's very interesting to give that context, isn't it? Which is you know at the, at the moment we have 
the profitability and sustainability rules for the Premier League and Championship clubs, which varies according to the amount of money that um, a club can spend depending on which league they're in for a rolling three-year period. So if you're a Premier League club in the Premier League for three years, you can spend um, over and above up to the tune of £105 million. If you're a Championship club over a three-year period, you can spend up to um, an amount, I think, I think it was £39 million. So what what the IREF recommendations are or what looks like what will occur is a complete tear up of the the current cost control framework, which I think on the whole for Premier League clubs has done the Premier League clubs relatively well in terms of general profitability over the last, you know, five or six years tracked, um, but obviously hasn't um, done uh, the EFL championship clubs very well in terms of, you know, chasing the golden pot of money of, um, of the Premier League. And we're going to talk about... Um, parachute payment points in a second but you know what what it looks like you know I'm, i am uh, greatly uh, summarizing and generalizing but in effect you know clubs in order to get a license are going to have to provide r- pretty robust business plans future financial information which is going to be stress tested by iref um, which can then come back with um, a variety of different requests, queries, and potential powers to to uh, modify the business plan if they don't think it's sustainable um, or there are particular worst-case scenarios. But as importantly as well, then, as a result, they're going to give, IREF is going to give owners the ability to be able to spend above their means um, so long as that additional above their means capital is um, provided up front and in committed funds. So I presume that is almost like a equivalent of a guarantee or a bond for if they're spending over and above, then that money needs to be lodged somewhere um, to demonstrate that if the worst happens and they're not going to be sustainable, that that external capital is going to sustain the business as a result. And there's also another really interesting element as well, um, which is um, that, that it becomes even more subjective to an extent that if, um, you know, one or more clubs spend huge amounts, query, for example, New- Newcastle in the years to come, that actually IREF will have the ability, because it effectively destabilises the long-term sustainability of the wider league, to be able to block further owner injections on financial stability and proportionality grounds. So it's almost like, well, yeah, your, your, your ability to be able to spend is uh, conditional on upfront and committed funds, but um, the subjectivity is going to be uh, whether actually the IREF sees that in a wider context of too much spending, which provides its own inflationary impact, which again, um, you know, is, a, is, you know, something that's going to take a lot of thinking, I think. Yeah, do you think that can be done um, without, because obviously the idea of the financial fair play re- um, regulations you know whatever they're called in, in the different competitions is that is objective do you think what was proposed is kind of overly uh, overly subjective or do you, do you imagine it will get it will be more refined as as obviously more people come on board with it and the recommendations potentially get rolled out yeah i mean i, I think it looks like they're going to have to go to industry to be able to what they call have form this sort of shadow um shadow um iref effectively that works alongside uh, although not enforcing, effectively setting up the framework and then agreeing a series of actions to understand how, you know, all of these pieces are going to work in, in practice. So completely right. Um, you know, I would say subjective, but I'd also say, you know, the regulations, if it's the FFP regs or the profitability and sustainability regulations, are also subject to, you know, interpretation is the truth as well. And that's where, you know, the lawyers and the accountants get involved because it's important to understand what those interpretations actually mean. Um, in practice, the same, for example, if we you know switch slightly to the owners and directors test, which is 
the the criteria by which um, uh, an owner or controller of a club or a director is going to be subjected to particular conditions and disqualify disqualification criteria. I'm not sure, Omar, if you had any thoughts on um, on some of those points, or if you just want me to quickly run through some of those initial high level points too. No, I think uh, I think you're the expert on that. You give us a view. So yeah, I mean the the the, the status quo at the moment is um, uh, if. There are a number of effectively objective checklist disqualification criteria, which is, you know, insolvency, uh, disqualification of being a director. Uh, if you've got criminal record, if you've been disqu- uh, if you've been disqualified from, you know, a professional body, uh, bankruptcy related matters, you can't be an agent. So th- those type of points, and you can't obviously be involved in another football club to a material extent. What what IREF is particularly saying, it looks like, is um, there's going to be two new tests. One, an owner's test, if you're owning more than 25% of the club, and a director's test. And inside of those, which will include the same objective criteria that we just talked about, there'll be a number of subjective criteria, including what's, I think, called an integrity test. So I'm just having a, a brief look at what the integrity test-related matters are. But more or less, the integrity test effectively becomes a much more subjective um, battleground but a subjective um, assessment to be able to consider whether uh, an individual is, um, uh, I guess, individual is the right type of individual um, to be able to um, own or control or be a director of a football club. So it talks about things like um, criminal matters not sufficient to be a disqualifying condition or other relevant information from credible or reliable sources. And there was one point which I think Steve Parrish talked about in his Sunday Times piece, which was more or less explaining why he didn't think independent regulation was appropriate, um, was consideration of the integrity or reputation of a close family member or business associate um, of a proposed owner, which is obviously pretty wide and gives quite a lot of discretion. And the point really is that word discretion. In the past, you know, um, Premier League and the executive team have more or less said that there isn't really this discretionary element. It is a very objective test um, that an owner or a controller or a director has to meet in order to pass the, the test. There's a lot more subjectivity coming into coming into play from now on, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been interesting actually reading, um, I think Christian personally did a press conference, Steve Parrish obviously wrote that Sunday Times column. I've just seen um, Angus Kinnear of, of Leeds United in his programme notes that notices kind of push back on um, a lot of the ideas within um, within the report. So um, there's a lot of clubs there that, that have been promoted to the Premier League or kind of bottom half Premier League clubs that, that have pushed back on it, which um, is probably a, a decent segue into um, things like the, the transfer levy and the, and the parachute payments. Um, I think the transfer levies, it was certainly probably the biggest headline because I think it was the one that no one really expected. Um, you know, everyone was expecting discussion around parachute payments, financial redistributions, independent regulators, owners, directors, you know, all the things that have been kind of, uh, I guess, issues that have been in the news for, you know, a long period of time now. Whereas this was probably the kind of one of the most um, almost like solid kind of, or, or one of the most forthright recommendations that was in the report, which was very, one of the most specific recommendations in some ways. Um, and Premier League clubs aren't particularly happy with it. They already pay 4%. Um, in pensions on as a levy of transfer fees, um, FIFA are proposing potentially five to six percent, I think, on um, a levy on transfer fees for um, for, for solidarity to clubs. So, you know, adding ten percent, you know, is is obviously a big amount. And I think I, I do have some sympathy because Premier League clubs already pay, according to our models, roughly twenty percent premium in the marketplace for um, for players compared to other um, leagues and clubs that buy players simply because they're Premier League clubs and. 
everyone knows Premier League clubs have a lot of money and so they tend to kind of not be in the strongest negotiating position. Um, so you're talking about increasing a premium that they already pay from from ten percent to, to potentially uh, sorry, from twenty percent to potentially thirty percent, which, which um, you know, yes, Premier League clubs have a lot more money than La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A clubs, but at some point you do begin to erode uh, international competitiveness. Um, I I think the for me the solution around because I, I think transfers are a a really effective well not really effective but but a good way of of redistributing wealth within the game. Um, you know, I think it might have even been acknowledged within the report the the amount of money that Premier League transfers actually redistribute to the AFL at the moment is obviously you know uh, been an important model for a number of clubs um, in terms of selling players. And I think one of the things that needs to be considered is you know how do we actually get more Championship, League One, League Two clubs selling players to Premier League clubs or essentially earning value from Premier League clubs. Um, and I think one of the most obvious ways to me is that clearly the EFL is a huge hotbed of, of talent development, um, not just players being developed directly by uh, EFL clubs, but also players going out on loan. Um, and, you know, it strikes me, uh, I've said that, I might have said this before, I think on uh, when we've spoken about it before, but, you know, Tammy Abraham's going out on loan to Bristol City and he's having a breakthrough season. He's scoring 20-odd goals. And then Chelsea go on and sell him for 40, 50 million. Uh, Bristol City should see some of that 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 values some of that return. I think if there was a mechanism by which EFL clubs could essentially get a share of the rights of players once they take them on loan and, and aid with their development, then I think that that potentially is a, is a good way of, again of distributing income. It's a good way of EFL clubs promoting themselves as as good talent developers um, and, and generating more revenue that way. So I think that's um, a potential kind of alternative to uh, a transfer levy, which I think is going to be you know further. Further put pressure on Premier League clubs that are trying to uh, negotiate deals, and and also potentially, you know, that I think the report said about 160 million would be redistributed to um, DFL clubs through that levy. But we've already seen a downturn in in the volume of activity of, of Premier League clubs uh, in COVID, so it's clear that they can cope with with the lower transactions. And and if you do have a levy on transactions, and you may end up kind of reducing your volume further. So um, I think there's potential there to be wary of the the un- unintended consequences of a of a transfer levy. The interesting thing there, Omar, that I'm sure you saw as well, which is in, in the summary, it's paragraph 44 for anybody that's interested. But my understanding of that levy is that whilst there are lots of other sections that um, effectively state that IREF is going to um, either request it to be put into legislation or put in a backstop proposal, this transfer levy isn't d- doesn't have any of that wording. So at the moment, it appears that it's not mandated, unless I've missed something. Um, it doesn't appear that it's mandated, but might just be an idea that is being floated that may still be iterated. And I think that idea of almost a sell-on in the event of upside is a much less um, uh, interventionist way where everybody wins rather than it just becomes an additional cost element to uh, what might be a high-profile, high-value transfer, but then makes a transfer even more, um, yeah, even more um, expensive. Whereas, for example, Omar, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Um, earlier on in the report, in the IRF report, it actually talks about that IRF does actually need to potentially directly intervene on the question of financial distributions, uh, specifically in relation to parachute payments, but giving 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 the the, the powers that be or the, the Premier League and the EFL. Um, sort of notice that if they can't come to a negotiated solution by and by I think it's end of December that there will be backstop powers to um, force implementation of some type of redistribution. I found that quite an interesting 
um, comparison, but also, you know, your thoughts on um, the uh, effects, good or otherwise, of parachute payments. And then, you know, are there any ideas you have on that sort of financial distribution method? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. The, the deadline, incredibly aggressive deadline um, to, re- uh, to release the report and then say, go on, you've got you got 30 days, not even that when you consider all the holidays in, in December, um, 30 days to sort out a better mechanism to solve an issue that's been debated for you know 20 years, if not more. Um, so, I, I mean, parachute pay- I, I kind of get torn on both sides of parachute payments because I totally understand the trouble um, that it causes in the championship in terms of um, inflationary pressure on other clubs. Um, I think that much is clear. I think there is... Uh, in theory, an advantage to clubs with parachute payments. I think there was a bit of a slightly bogus stat, and I'm always going to be, you know, keen to point out a bogus stat around kind of the probability of parachute payment clubs getting promoted over um, non-parachute clubs because I don't think it necessarily controls for the size of the club, the historic standing of the club. You know, clubs that have parachute payments naturally are bigger clubs; they're more likely to get promoted with or without them. And actually, um, historically, that with the amount of parachute payments increasing over time, actually the proportion of clubs bouncing back within two years to the Premier League has actually been falling over a period of time. So uh, I dispute some of the, the elements of it. I, I think the big challenge with parachute payments is that clearly the alternative is to redistribute income to the top of the championship such that, you know, the rationale for parachute payments is that when you go up, you don't, you, you're able to invest because you're not scared about going back down because, you know, you've got a revenue cushion. So the idea is to kind of move that revenue cushion to all clubs at the top end of, of the championship. I think the big question is where that money comes from. Um, I think you're going to, just from a practical point of view, I think you're going to find it very hard to get that from the, let's, let's call them top six clubs. Um, you know, that it's not, it's, they can very much go, it's not our problem. Um, although, you know, there's an argument that it is. Um, so you end up redistributing from the likes of, you know, we just discussing Leeds Palace, um, Aston Villa, bottom half clubs, um, to the top of the championship. And what does that do? That potentially reduces competitive balance within the Premier League, which we've spoken about it so much before, you know, the, the ratio of 1 to 1.8 between the top and the bottom club. What does that grow to? One to one, one to two point five, one to three, um, and, and clearly then you have a, a a kind of imbalance in, in competitive balance in the league, which is so fundamental to the Premier League's product, is so fundamental to all the wealth that comes in into the Premier League. So, whilst I I think there probably is a better solution out there than parachute payments, I, I've yet to really hear anything, uh, or you know, in the report clearly they didn't make any recommendation on it, but I've yet to hear or see anything that is a better outcome. Um, for all of English football, I understand that the the need to redistribute, but I, I don't I don't see something that makes English football better as a whole. And, and you have to remember, you have to protect the Premier League product. And the report spoke to that as well, um, and and a lot of the comments afterwards have spoken to that around protecting the Premier League products. That is the thing that generates the wealth in, in English football. Um, and I think again, just need to be wary of of unintended consequences because the Premier League, yes, it is the um, the richest league in the world and it seems to have a really commanding position but you know 20 years ago that was that was Serie A and, and look where Serie A is now so I don't think you can get overly complacent about um, the Premier League's position in, in the game. Did you find it interesting Omar over the last few days you, you did actually mention it to a degree that three of the clubs that came out against independent regulation were those well mid I guess mid-table non-top six which was Palace with Parish, West Ham with Brady and uh, Villa with Perslow. Do, do you think there was any coincidence in that? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think I think they do, or I, I, probably not, <laughs> to answer the question. I think they probably all do recognise, uh, and I know in some cases they do recognise, you know, the, the challenges of being in the Championship and um, the need to address that cliff edge between the two divisions. Um, but I think they, my impression is that they disagree with the means by which you, 
you do that. And I think they worry that an independent regulator is um, is kind of a heavy handed approach to it. So I, I don't think they necessarily disagree with the problems, perhaps perhaps to a, to a greater or less degree in, in some cases. But I think the the means by which was was their main um, pushback. And, and I think obviously Steve Parrish writing in, in the Sunday Times was was particularly taking a kind of a, a political view, I suppose, on, on the quality of, of what an IRF would be given his view on, on the government. Um, whereas, uh, you know, others were perhaps pointing to the fact that, you know, to a degree that the Premier League is certainly working. So let's not try and break that in order to fix something else. And do you think then, because I was, I was reading and listening to everything, I, I wasn't sure whether just philosophically they just didn't want power being taken away from them to be able to make particular decisions. Maybe that's as simply as it, or whether there was particular grievances with some of the elements. So, for example, you know, the Premier League, to be fair, clubs are, are relatively constrained to a degree on cost control anyway because of the cost uh, the cost control provisions that they've implemented. So, you know, in terms of that, I was a bit like, well, I don't think it's that. So is it the fact, the fact that they're concerned that the distribution model on parachute payments is actually going to change, which then might lead to, you know, we're talking about just self-interest to a degree, is that if, the, if they are concerned that they might, in the next period of time, um, have the problem of be, being relegated or otherwise, that that fall then becomes a lot bumpier as a result? Or, or, or is, it, is it something else that I'm not, not quite seeing or that, you, you know, you have to do on? Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, I, th- I think it's the, the the potential loss of control. Um, you know, at the moment, I suppose you know, one of the things that I think it was Angus Kinnear in his notes today was was saying, you know, you end up penalised if you redistribute. You end up penalising clubs that have you know recruited smartly, developed their academy, X Y Z. You know, and you, and you reward clubs that are being run poorly. And I think certain owners will, will certainly back themselves to outperform other clubs on the same budget and therefore want to be rewarded for that. Um, so I think there's an element of that. There's an element of um, you know drop in enterprise value if you're if you're reducing the revenues of clubs, although in theory you're reducing the, the relegation risk, so yeah, that's potentially offset. Um, so I think yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I would tend to agree. I'm not sure the positions have always been necessarily totally coherent, um, but uh, but yeah, there's uh, always you know there's probably a bit of self interest uh, within it. Well. Um, I'm not sure if time has flown for everybody else, but I've uh, I've certainly enjoyed listening, Omar, to you just talk through some of the the IRF points, which have been you know really interesting, and, and I think all of these points will intertwine in due course, won't they? With a lot of the other issues we're talking about, you know, we're coming up soon to transfer window, those types of issues which are going to crop up, and free transfers, which we might talk about in one of the other uh, one of our future talks. But yeah, great to chat as always, mate. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, it will certainly come up again. So yeah, we'll speak again if not next week certainly very soon thanks everybody good night thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram at football law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundeal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundeal an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. 
you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.